This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dad, I assume Tom. This afternoon, I am speaking with a man who's known as a humorist. Although he wrote a book that's satirical, so he'll have to explain the difference between a humorist and a satirist to me in just a moment. But we're reliving miserable holiday stories with Alex Bernstein. How are you, Alex? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Hey, I'm looking forward to talking to you. You know, when they first offered me the interview, they're like, oh, yeah, Alex Bernstein wants to talk to you. And I'm like, the guy that just retired from the NFL? or And I'm like, no, wait, it's a different Alex Bernstein. Yeah, I also I also don't play Lois on Family Guy. Right. So uh, there's there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, her and I did go to San Francisco State together. So excellent. Yeah, I think she graduated about a year or two prior to me. Okay, great, very good. Didn't know her there, but you know, at least yeah. we have that BS alumni story. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, six degrees of separation, or six degrees of Kevin Bacon, or you know, smoke yes. bacon or whatever. Yeah, they're no bad Alex Bernsteins or Horstein. <laughs> well, I do have to ask you before we do get started, what is the difference between a humorist and a satirist? So with a humorist, you actually laugh out loud. And with a satirist, you go, huh. And that's, and that's basically the difference. And there's nothing wrong with the satirist and the going, huh, you know, in a, in a, in a good positive way. But you, it, it usually doesn't always evoke a big, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. So. Got Excuse it. Me. So that's how Bill Maher was able to keep his career for 40 years. That's exactly right. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, he's one of those guys that you laugh at every once in a while, and then you just chuckle here and there. Yeah, exactly. And now my access to HBO has been revoked by uh, by Time Warner and Discovery. So, yeah, you know. I know. Well, you can borrow everybody else. At this point, probably. But, you know, I get it a week before everybody else's with all the press access. So. Oh, true. Just shot myself in the foot. Oh, well. They didn't send me Suicide oh, well. Squad, so we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, fill me in. This is like your third or fourth book at this point. Yes. And you decide towards the end of the pandemic, in the hottest month of the year, yeah. to, do, to uh, share a book about holidays that are primarily celebrated during the winter. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. Well, uh, we, we, we released it back at, uh, in, uh, in, um, uh, December of last year, actually, and that was that was a sparkling success because uh, no bookstores were open and stuff, and uh, and so we decided, you know, we would go back to the well in the hottest month of the year uh, when I don't know about uh, California, but New Jersey is like, you know, uh, basically uh, experiencing hell on earth at the moment. Right, you're Florida um, without the fun. Yeah, and we decided what a great time to talk about Christmas trees and uh, and Hanukkah bushes and all that good stuff. Right. You know, and then Thanksgiving, of course, because, you know, you can't have a miserable life without Thanksgiving. Exactly. That's right. All right. So since you've written this book about holidays and holiday misery. Yeah. Why do people intentionally want to ruin holidays? You know, I think it's just a, a part of human nature. I think um, people just uh, have a desire to be miserable at all times. Um, you know, I think that if you're going to get families together, if you're going to get any kind of people together, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to go out of their way to make each other suffer uh, as much as humanly possible. Uh, certainly everybody I know does mm -hmm. that. So, You know, it, it's quite ridiculous, I think, because, like, let grandma have her one family dinner and then go back and hit your sibling tomorrow. 
Exactly. That's right. You know, why you got to ruin grandma's day? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And not the Hallmark version that you got to spend $5 on a card for. I'm talking like, you know, actual dinner with grandma. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and my wife and I, you know, we're, we're a mixed couple. You know, she was raised Catholic and I was raised Jewish. So I would go up to visit her family and, uh, you know, and I didn't know anything about the holidays. I basically married her so I could do Christmas because when you're Jewish, that's all you want to do all when you're growing up is you just want to have Christmas your entire life. And when I got there, I didn't have any idea what was going on. I was like, let's make eggnog snowmen. Oh, let's wassail. Let's wassail right now. Where's the figgy pudding? So. And then you're the one Jew celebrating another Jew's birthday. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what you, that's what you learn about Christmas is that, you know, all, all us Gentiles are celebrating one Jew in particular. Yeah. And we appreciate that, by the way. Right. You know, it's still Easter when you guys kind of like take the turn and go, really? This is the, this is the second part of the story that we're not too fond of. That's right. Yeah. And actually, and actually, uh, in one part of the book, it resolves the question once and for all, what, which holiday is worse, Christmas or Hanukkah? So that's a, that's a big deal. Well, David Tell a long time ago made a joke about Hanukkah. And I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to steal David Tell's material or butcher it. And that Hanukkah was, you know, eight days, eight different presents. Nope, eight days, eight different pieces. So, you know, day one, he'd get the bicycle seat. Day two, he'd get the handlebars and so on and so forth until he assembled the bicycle at the end of Hanukkah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, your experience with Hanukkah obviously is different than your wife's experience with Christmas. What made Hanukkah so torturous for you? Uh, well, it's it's a terrible holiday. It's it's just really a, uh, it's it's as the book says, it's a miserable holiday. It's not even one of our big holidays. It just happens to be, you know, we were going to do Hanukkah. We were going to do our big holiday on basically any holiday that was near Christmas. So if it was like the day of bringing in the goats, that would be our big holiday. Um, but the real problem with Hanukkah is that. Uh, the, the, I guess there's three problems. One is that um, nobody knows what it's about. I mean, if you if you any no Jew you can ask can summarize what Hanukkah is about in in like ten words or less. It starts getting into Maccabees and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, no one can no one can spell it correctly. Nobody actually knows how you spell the word. But the worst part about Hanukkah, uh, far and away, and it's a lovely holiday by the way. So I'm being extreme. But the worst part about Hanukkah is that no one knows when it is. So, like, when I say to you, you know, when is Christmas, you say to me what? Uh, depending which calendar, either December 25th or January 7th. Exactly, mm -hmm. right. So, uh, Jews have no, all Jews, the way they find out when Hanukkah is, is, is they Google it. They have to Google it, or they ask a friend who Googled it. So nobody has any clue whatsoever. And, you know, this year it's it's three weeks early, and next year it's in June. And, and nobody has any idea, so a lot of people just skip it. Well, I am an Orthodox Christian, so we are still on the Julian calendar, so we celebrate Christmas January 7th, and then Easter for us, which we use the uh, the Greek uh, tra translation of Pesach to uh, Pascha, mm -hmm. um, is, you know, it has to be after Passover and after the vernal equinox. So this coming year for 2022... Uh, we are going to be, I believe, two or three weeks after Catholic and Protestant Easter. That's so exciting. Yes. So we have, you know, it's your guys' fault because we use your guys' calendar primarily. 
Okay. And <laughs> well, you know, our whole organization <laughs> you know is, is one of you guys. So I want to, I want to, I want to just apologize now for my my entire uh, creed, and uh, you know. Because that is something we would do, just to screw up other people. You know what? That, but that's your Ashkenazi side. You Ashkenazis apologize a lot. Mizrahi Jews will sit there and go, we were here before all of you. So what? Right, exactly. You know? So, you know, that's something but, you guys got to learn from, like, your Arab and Persian Jewish cousins. Yeah. The, the, the Sephardic Simis, though, is way better than the Ashkenazic Simis, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And then I, and I, we probably lost everybody on that, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, that's our own little personal conversation, and then everyone's going to go, what are these Semites of, of different backgrounds, one's, yeah. a Christian, one's a Jew, discussing that the rest of us don't understand. Right. And not realizing that there are other Semitic peoples out there, of which I'm one of them, and so, you know, confuses everybody even more. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. So, <laughs> it's it's all that fun stuff. But you you have multiple stories of miserable holidays and miserable experiences. Yes. And I'm sure some of your distant relatives on the Ashkenazi side and some of the other Middle Eastern Christians over here will read them and go, I've had worse. Cause you know, there's the yeah. upsmanship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody, everybody I tell about the book is like, Oh, I could fill a book with my miserable holiday stories. And I'm like, I'm, of course you could, but you did it first. That's exactly right. So That's exactly right. You I got me right. Ergo, yeah. you set the bar. Yeah, and I and I think that's fine. I, I I love to hear about people's misery. I think it's great. What was the catalyst? The la- I'm sorry. The, the last thing I the last thing I want to hear about is anybody's happy holiday stories. I just I have no tolerance for happiness and joy over the holidays. So I have a sequel book that you and I can work on, <laughs> and it's those miserable people. Of which I have a cousin who's one of them, so I don't like her. That writes those three to four page Christmas letters and puts herself in the third person. <laughs> and it's the, it's that whole Christmas letter that goes back the entire yeah. year. Uh, uh, nobody reads. Right. Does she include pictures? No, it's just a four page letter of what right. everybody did until finally I put it back in another envelope with a note. That said, stop sending me this shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because my mother didn't let me write on, on the uh, on the envelope. Fuck you, not at this address. Right. So. Fair enough. You know, one of those things. So that's the sequel. It's just that we'll print all these fake happy people's Christmas letters and the rest of the world can make fun of them. I love it. I think that's a terrific idea. Yeah. What was the final catalyst to sit there and make you go, you know what? I've written three books. You know, I'm pretty funny. My relatives are rather annoying. Let's go for it. Uh, you, you know, there's never there's never a bad reason to write about your about miserable stories with, uh, especially about the holidays. Uh, you know, it just it just comes pouring out. Some of these stories started out as gifts mm-hmm. uh, for people, uh, and and then I started getting them printed online and and in lots of eclectic journals. Um, and uh, and since they started out as like and and the people got other things, by the way. I, I don't want to say that out of the gate. You know that that, that wasn't all they got. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, pe- the people who got the, them as gifts didn't seem to mind that they, that horrible things were happening to all the people in these stories. So I guess everybody just related to it. It's very Maury, very Jerry Springer, very 90 day fiance 
only with tolerable people. Exactly. And I grew up in the same town as Jerry Springer. Did you? Oh, yeah. Well, sure, Cincinnati. Well, hopefully I'm you sorry. can try to write a check <laughs> to uh, Lady of the Night. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> with the uh, city's account. When you cross the bridge, you got to remember not to bring your checks. Right. And especially the one that belongs to the city. Yeah. <laughs> and, yet, and yet he's still got to be mayor. That's the impressive part. And he's parlayed it into a 25-plus-year career of running the yes, same he, show every single day. Uh, yes, he has. And an opera. Yeah. And a movie. Yeah. You know, is, as a humorist, is there a part of you that's extremely jealous of that since you grew up in the same city? <laughs> I have never been uh, jealous of Jerry Springer. Although, I, I, it was funny, you know, I didn't mean to go up on all Jerry Springer thing, but um, when I was a kid... Uh, I, I was doing stand up in Cincinnati when I was like 16. And, uh, I mean, he was a cool dude back then. He was, he, he was on the, the rock station, like with his little, uh, important, uh, soapbox, the Springer memorandum. And, and it was pre, you know, the Jerry Springer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and damn, he was a cool dude back then. So, but, uh, obviously that cool dude, uh, figured out how to make some, some change. So good for him. You know, I am envious of the financial gain. I will not lie to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, be careful with that envy. That's what I would say. It's the, it's the envy of the financial gain, not the process of reaching that financial status. Yeah. 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 I'm always more right. impressed with the level of mad genius than the yeah. outcome of the mad genius. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess. It, yeah. You no, know, it's like one of those like, wow, you actually pulled off that level of, you know, evil. That's impressive. <laughs> and then you realize, that, wow, but that's just really evil. So I don't know. And it's like I'm torn to be impressed or to be disgusted. Uh, I, I think you can be a little of both. I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the most important question regarding your current book. You yes. Know, the one that came out during the holidays, uh, Miserable Holiday Stories. Which one offended your mother most and which one offended your wife most? Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, which piece in the book? Well, uh, probably it's my favorite piece in the book. Uh, and, uh, the book is sort of a PG-13 book. So there are some pieces that are all ages and, uh, can be read, uh, by, by anybody. And then there's some pieces that are a little more adult. And conveniently, we put those pieces right next to each other. So, which is really fun for kids because then they can find all this good stuff. Um, but my favorite piece is probably a piece called The 22, which is about, untrustworthy real estate brokers and people with guns who don't like deer and Best Buy Geek Squad and sex and Facebook and Route 22 in New Jersey, which is what it's named after. And uh, and the main character is this guy with no – and he's a, he's a guy I actually knew, by the way mm-hmm. – uh, is, is a guy with no peripheral vision, which means if you stand right in front of him, then he can see you and you can have a conversation. But if you're, like, slightly off to the side of him and don't say anything, then you are, like, the most – Perfect invisible ninja, um, and uh, and so that's the piece that uh, probably it certainly offends my mother a lot because mostly because there's sex and 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 uh, death and stuff in that one. But it's a really I, I always like that story. And then there's a bunch of other stuff too. Well, I I didn't realize that you were friends with the former vice president. <laughs> I know, right? Well, fortunately, I didn't anybody in the face, right. so that's the good news. Yeah. We we can tease now because the person survived. 
Yes, he, yes, they did. And apologized to him, too, which was bizarre. Do you understand I, I, what... I'm sorry my face got in the way of your buckshot. Right, but do you understand the <laughs> level of power someone has to be the victim of a gunshot wound and then apologize to the trigger man? Yeah, that's amazing. That's like only something Jerry Springer could pull off, you know? Probably today, yeah. Yeah. At least in 1996 at his height. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the one that offends uh, the missus the most. The one that offends the missus the most. Wow, that's a tough one. I I don't I don't know that anything offended. Uh, let's see, what have we got here? Um, there's a there's a uh, uh, there's a piece called um, Julian, which is is pretty offensive too. That's a pretty good one. Um, and uh, you know, she probably probably the other big piece that the that she really didn't like was called uh, the Bicycle Boys Save Christmas Again. That's a that that's a piece about um it's actually like I wrote it to be you know chapter books mm-hmm. like uh the uh like the uh, babysitters club and the treehouse gang and all that. Well I, I I wrote that one as if it was like the 30th book in the series and you didn't have any idea what happened before those. <laughs> and uh and and so it it starts it's about these two hardy boys like characters except they curse constantly and so the curses are written out in like the you know the hashtag plus uh, you know, dollar sign things. And by the time the story starts, their bicycles are, are already broken even before the, the story starts. So they're miserable right from the beginning. And, uh, and then the president calls them and says, Santa Claus has been kidnapped again. Um, because of course it's like the 30th book in the series. So they've already saved Santa Claus one other time. And then hijinks ensues. Um, so that's a, that's a big piece in the book. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Here, uh, so we know uh, it was originally called A Visit from St. Nicholas. You know, now they call it uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And yeah. some people have that tradition of reading that book on Christmas Eve, either before they go to church or secularists that just don't care about St. Nicholas or Jesus or anybody else. And right. they just, you know, want their elf story. Um, what chapter or what story in this book should be like the first night of Hanukkah read or the for, or the Christmas Eve read. Sure. Well, that would be a story called The Unbreakable Toy, which is about this uh just awful young toy maker who lives in sort of a it's it's kind of like a cross between a corporation and the North Pole, you know. They're not quite elves, but they're kind of like elves. Uh and anyway, he's just a miserable miserable uh young toy maker. Uh but he accidentally creates an unbreakable toy and which nobody's ever done before. And then it immediately experiences rapid, unbelievable success. Uh, and so, you know, that's going to be tremendously bad news. Um, so, the, and that's, 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 that's actually one of the biggest pieces in the book. And it's, um, and it definitely has that heartwarming, uh, uh, heart, that heartwarming, not heartwarming. That would be like what dogs get. Uh, it has that heart, heartwarming, uh, uh, night before Christmas vibe to it. And that's another all ages story. Well, this sounds like fun because I don't want to give too much of the book away, so it's better to come from you than to me sitting there. And then in chapter six, and then in chapter twelve, and then yeah, like that's not fair to the audience because like we get it, jerk. You read the book, right? (laughs) It's better to come from the author to you know let you know, hey, this is coming up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's clear that you had fun telling these stories. And, you know, some exaggerations here and there, uh, for the, for the real life stories, some stories, 
you know, like Santa being kidnapped, obviously fabricated in this yeah. regard because, you know, kids, Santa's okay. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Um, it reminds me of a Saturday Night Live sketch with uh, John Lovitz, the Hanukkah Harry one. Yeah. You know, did that ever come into play? Because Hanukkah Harry never really caught on as a Hanukkah figure uh, other than this Saturday Night Live sketch. Is there a figure other than the Maccabees, you know, how St. Nicholas was fictionalized into Santa Claus that Judaism would want to fictionalize as their mascot? Uh, in, 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 in the real world or in the book? In the uh, book? Both. In the real world, you know, for the secular <laughs> Jews that are quote-unquote cultural Jews and not religious ones, and yeah. you know, in the book as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that the, you know, there's the, there's the, there's the rabbi on the, what is it? It's the something on, it's not the elf on the shelf. There's the, uh, I can't remember what it is, but there's, but there's a rabbi version of that, which I don't think has quite the, uh, quite the same impact. Uh, I don't think we ever got better than Hanukkah Harry. I think John Lovitz was about as good as it gets. In the book, there is a, the first, the very first piece is, um, uh, Blue Christmas is about a temple on um, Christmas Eve, and this big temple always has to do a show because Jews have nothing else to do on Christmas Eve, um, and uh, and they want to get an entertainer to entertain everybody, and um, the guy they got cancels, so they uh, the only person they can get at the last minute is an Elvis impersonator, and um, and uh, and he ends up being sort of the perfect thing for that show, although uh, for a long time they tell him he can't sing Christmas songs, which is half his repertoire. Uh, and I would say that that uh, this Elvis impress- impersonator, King Cassidy, is about as close as we get to Hanukkah Harry in, uh, in the book, although there's certainly lots of other stuff like that. Well, it sounds like a great time, and uh, I'm thrilled for, for people that I'd want to actually go see that show for real. Yeah. Like, now you have yeah, a great a- show to spin off. Exactly. That's right. You know, um, we, you know, we've joked a little bit about Jerry Springer and Maury and 90 Day Fiance ever so briefly on how, uh, we enjoy people being miserable in a sense. And mm-hmm. you know, the funniest people on, on the face of the planet, the German people came up with the phrase Schadenfreuden, uh, taking pleasure in other people's misery. Yeah. Uh, how much of that goes into your writing, especially for a book like this? Oh, it's everything. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, I, I think one of the great joys of this book is going, wow, that's not me. You know, th- this is, this is, I'm so glad these things are not happening to me. I'm glad I stayed at home and I'm just looking at this from a distance. Um, but I do think a lot of people will be able to relate to a lot of what's in here. Um, I think a lot of them will be familiar, whether it's, you know, the two poor girls who uh, are, teased because they're outside at the smoking lounge at the school, or it's the guy who just spends all of Christmas Eve just doing the dishes because, you know, that's what he was stuck with. Um, so I think there's a lot of universality to it. Um, but but at the same time, I do think, you know, it's always fun to watch other people's misery and suffering and, uh, and say it's not happening to me. So I think that's a big part of it. But the, the fun part is that it's humorous. And in a strange way, it's a bit hopeful. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I I think some of these stories have, uh, you know, uh, some of these stories do have happy endings. 
you know, some of them do give hope for the characters at the end. You know, it's it's not always like they find a wallet full of a million dollars on the sidewalk, but usually there's a glimmer that, you know, things are looking up. Not all of the stories have a glimmer that there's things are looking up, but I would say uh, enough of them have a glimmer of hope to the end of them so that it's, so that by the time you're done with the book, you don't want to just, you know. <laughs> at the very least, a piece of shiny tinsel. Exactly. You know, That's not, right. Not whiskey and uh, razor blades. That's exactly what I was implying. That's yeah. correct. <laughs> With everything that's going on and the holidays are, are fast approaching and uh, the world might shut down yet again. Yeah. Um, humor is very important. How do we find the funny in tragedy? Um, wow. I, you know, I think, uh, I think you have to have a good attitude. I think, uh, I think, um, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to make fun of anybody's tragedy, but, uh, but I, but you know, I mean, if you can't, I think that's why I think it's a good book for these times. If you can't, if you can't look around and, uh, and, and, you know, take a deep breath at everything you're seeing, then I think you, you know, you should, you might want to start drinking right now. I went to, I actually um, went to a Barnes and Noble to because uh, I thought I was so excited that, that the copy of it was in a Barnes and Noble, and I one of the first ones. And I went to Barnes and Noble to pick up a copy of the book, and uh, and I you know for, and I was planning to say, hey, look, uh, I wrote this book, but I didn't even get that far because I I I said to the uh, cashier at the store, um, uh, uh, well, this book looks pretty good, and and. They just looked at me and went, uh, as if things weren't bad enough already. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks. Just wrap it up. So. And we have the first chapter of the sequel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. With all that being said, is there a temptation as an author when you go and see your book at a Barnes and Noble or at an independent bookstore to take out a pen and just randomly sign it? And then leave. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've done that actually once. I did that at the, before it closed and then reopened. I did that at the drama bookstore. I, actually, I didn't just do it in a in a book and then leave. I, I asked them first. But you know what I really like to do is, and I haven't done this yet, but maybe I'll do it after the book comes out. I like to go in and open up random books and just write the name of the author or write my name in those books. Because that's uh, that seems to me to be a lot more fun than writing my name in my own book, you know. I, I does sound a lot more fun because there's this weird line of, oh wow, I found a treasure that was secretly signed by the author. Versus, right. This is vandalism. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I don't think they would stop me if I wrote in other people's books. I mean, you know, unless it's like Shakespeare, you know, that that guy is clearly not Shakespeare. Right. So. Yeah. What would be fun is just inserting random latitudes and longitudes in there and people right. sending, you know, and sending people on a wild uh, goose chase right. to an area that nobody knows why they're going. Yeah. Or I think I would probably just write in the books, you know, instead of even signing it, I would just write, ha ha, made you look. I think that would, that would probably be just as good. I dig it. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what is your website? So, you know, we can go to your website directly and purchase the book from you. So you get a bigger cut instead of going to Amazon and Bards and Noble. So they get their 30 or 40%. 
Right. Well, uh, I would love to drive you to my site. It's Alex Bernstein, uh, underscore author dot net. Cause I'm pretty sure NFL Alex Bernstein is the one that got it first. Yeah. He got the dot com. I don't think he has the author, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that'll work for you. Um, on the yeah. bright side, if you team up with him and do something on uh, traumatic ba- brain injury, since a lot of NFL players have done that, now it's co-written by Alex Bernstein and Alex Bernstein. Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, I think I think brain injury would really lend itself to uh, more miserable stories. Right, and so. humor. You know, not, God, yeah. forbid, God forbid he actually has uh, TBI. Yeah, um, God forbid. Right. I, I just think it would be funny, you know, Alex Bernstein, you know, with Alex Bernstein. Right. Like just to confuse yeah. the general audience. I think there's a glass blower, Alex Bernstein, too. So we, I mean, I'm happy to get together with both of them. So, you know, and just him blowing glass for the cover. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Alex yeah. Bernstein with Alex Bernstein cover by Alex Bernstein. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you can never have too many. No. And it, and it sounds like a great time. You know, you just, I would presume call each other by your professions at that point instead of by name. Yeah, I think it would get tricky. Yeah. You know, it, it's like those families that have, you know, uh, like George Foreman, how he has five sons named George. Right. Or too many Daves, if you know the Dr. Seuss story, where the, the couple has like a hundred kids and they name them all Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which kids in the hall took and turned it into a song, These Are the Daves I Know I Know. Oh, great. I don't know that. Yeah. I, I learned, I learned something today. You know, kids in the hall, those Canadians are funny. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, you know, the two things, the three things that you have to do in Canada is be funny, drink, and play hockey, so. Right. And maybe all three at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, Alex, you know, for people that are interested, that need some levity, why do they need to pick up your latest book, Miserable Holiday Stories? Because... It's a terrible uh, time of uh, the year, and it's been a rough couple of years, and you need to laugh. You need to go enjoy yourself, and you need to enjoy yourself at the expense of other people. And, and, uh, and it's, a perfect, it's a perfect gift to give that person you never want to see again. So, you know. If you love them, buy a single copy. If you dislike them, buy them two. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Alex Bernstein, where can we find you on social media if we want to connect with you? Uh, also at Alex Bernstein underscore author. Perfect. Yeah, Alex Bernstein. Make it easy. Yeah. Made it easy. Yeah. You know, and that's for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's everywhere. Perfect. Yeah. You know, and, uh, if your mom has any complaints about this interview, uh, please don't give her my real name. Okay. That, right. that works for me. You know, cause that's all I need is a mother's wrath. Right. But Alex Bernstein, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. Uh, hopefully you're sitting in front of an air conditioner or a bare minimum of fan in New Jersey because it's got to be as humid as Florida without Disney World and Universal Studios. Yeah, uh, I am. And thank you so much. This has been terrific. Well, I'm glad we can crack some jokes because I think people have taken life far too seriously the last couple of years and we need humor. Excellent. Yeah. I agree. And... More than likely, you'll probably end up either at a Yankees or a Mets game, so enjoy that when you can. I will. Thank you.